We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal podcast wins fan voted award and proceeds to try to alienate all of the fans who voted. This is the Arsenal Vision post match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, Paul's here, Clive's here. I'll get to them in a minute. Let's do a little housekeeping. So, you didn't love the last podcast, listeners. You didn't love it. Welcome. <laughs> Hang on now. We're not, we're not going down that road. Um, fair play. Look. Uh, one thing that I think we do and do well on this podcast, if I may say so myself, is we try to be analytical and look at things logically. And whether we have a positive or negative take on it, it's usually backed by a lot of uh, reason and consideration. And part of that is because we record our podcast usually the day after a game. So we're not podcasting at full time of a loss, you know, things that can drive up the emotion and drive down the analysis. We did record the last podcast within moments of Ornstein's tweet that Emery would be appointed. Now, I'm not going to speak for Clive or Paul at this point. I'm going to speak for myself. While I don't think that the podcast was in poor taste or hyperbolic, I will say that I was disappointed. Not because I was hugely in favor of Arteta, but because Emre wasn't a name that really excited me, that it seemed that we had pivoted at the last moment. I didn't understand the process. I didn't understand what was happening. And we had very little information other than what had been available prior to this crazy, what seemed to be crazy, left turn. We now have a little more information. Uh, we've had a lot more information, I should say, a chance to look at m more closely, a chance to look at the process more closely, and that has helped to add texture and context to certainly my opinions and my thoughts about this. Now, I want to be clear about something. This podcast is not a retraction. 
However, I retract everything I said. No, I'm kidding. Um, it is not a retraction. I don't think that just because people didn't like a podcast, I, sh- I should or anyone should come on here and say, I'm sorry for my opinions. Forgive me, but please forgive me. No, I'm kidding. Um, so what I will say is that those were my feelings in the moment. That was how I felt about the decision in the moment. Um, I certainly stand by what I was feeling at that time, but those have evolved. And uh, I will certainly endeavor during this podcast to explain some of the things that I still feel from that moment and some of the things I no longer feel. And I'm sure Paul and Clive will do similarly. So the other simmering mess uh, from the last podcast is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posing My Pants. Hello, Paul. Hello. And the one gentleman who deserves any credit, the bastard that he is, the man who obviously has so much wisdom, I can only presume by being so old, that he was able to take it all in, take a deep breath, process it, and and still have that cool analytical approach. Even in the heat of the moment is Clive. We hate him. He's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. He was high and he was drunk. Tim won't even dignify your criticism with an appearance. Uh, Scott needs to dignify no criticism whatsoever. So it's going to be the three of us. And I think what we will do today is we'll talk about Emre, our feelings about him now, having read more, having looked at more, uh, how we feel about him being appointed, maybe a little bit about the appointment, it's the announcement itself, Gazidis, I'm sure, will come up during that, and then just sort of where the club is positioned now and, and the job the club has done to try to modernize and put structures in place to make us more progressive. So if that's okay with everyone, let's do that. Let's try to all love each other. Everyone love everyone, okay? We're all Arsenal fans. We all love each other. And I'll start with you, Clive, since nobody hates your opinions ever. Um, Now that you've had a chance to think on it, read on it, how much do you hate Emre now? No, just kidding. Uh, What what are your thoughts about this man being a fit for this job? I think he's, you know, from what we've read in the last day or so, he, he seems like a brilliant fit. And for me, the thing that excites me the most, everyone says, oh, he's meticulous or he's a hard worker. You know, Arsene Wenger was an extremely hard worker. But I always felt he was a hard worker for the club and he was looking after 700 people, employees that were in the club, and he spoke to them. With this guy, Emery, he's an incredibly hard worker and meticulous. But he's now working for 30 first-team players. And that really excites me, that all that intensity, all that drive of a 46-year-old man in the peak years of his management career, he's going to be focused on the players. And you did a little chat there about the podcast and how we analyse games, and, and I do think we're quite good at analysing games. And and during a lot of those analyses that we've done over the last couple of years, we've spoken about the lack of detail, the lack of attention, the lack of planning. And the exciting bit for me is we're going to have somebody that's absolutely obsessed on most of the things that the fans are obsessed with, which is the football, the team, how they're performing, the balance, how they transmit themselves back to the fans. And the things that excite me about him are not the things where you can easily look on Google and work out his record and what he did in this dressing room, what he did in that dressing room. The things that excite me about him is the chemistry with the people that obviously interviewed him and the uh, chemistry that he's I think he's going to create with the fan base. I used to like to want to have Jurgen Klopp manage Arsenal. And the only reason I wanted him, not because I actually liked his teams or anything in particular, but I felt he was a connector. I felt his first job was to connect the club, connect the fans to the board, connect the players to the fans. And I've got a feeling Emery's going to do that. And this club, 
absolutely needs that connection. It really does because mm-hmm. there's a huge level of mistrust between the units on, on, the, on the team, on the, in the board. We're going to that a little bit later. There's a this huge layers of mistrust. And that manifests itself in fan opinion. And um, you know, as we sit here and we're talking and we've had a you know a fantastic feedback from the last podcast. Whether you like it or not, feedback is feedback and oh, I think it's it fantastic. Shows... I love that people care about the quality of the podcast and want it to be better than that one, apparently. <laughs> yeah, and it it, it, it tells it tells us about no, but actually if you think about it, it tells us about our standards that we that we've actually maintained. That we've got some we, Yeah, that we speak for your damn I'm self. It tells us about the standards that we've maintained. It tells us about there's a silent listenership out there that really appreciate what we do. And if we put a step out of place, they let us know. Not silent enough, Five. I think we can agree. (laughs) (laughs) But I think think it's absolutely fantastic. And most of the feedback was really respectful, even even, even if it's opinionated. And that's exactly the audience that we've been trying to reach out to. So I think it's absolutely. It does. It does. (laughs) And I think it's absolutely, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And, um, and I, and I'm going back to the, going back to the question. I think this guy is going to connect us. And I think that's the thing I'm looking for. And I've had a real, I was away work this week. So I had a bit of time to think about it. And, and yeah, I'm ready for this podcast, mate. I've had a good look. So when you come back to me later, I'll tell you what I've seen. Much later, in, in theory. Um, no, I, you know, and, and one of the things that's going to take some getting used to, Clive, and it was all very well said, um, and I, I agree with all that, is calling him a head coach. And, you know, this is really what it comes down to, Paul, is that the club has now quite swiftly actually transitioned to all of the things we said we wanted. Now, we can come on to Gazidis in a little bit, because I think... You know, a little good, a little bad. I think my, my opinions are mixed, and I'll, I'll sort of explain why. But oh, certainly... Jesus. There's <laughs> no saving some people. I know. <laughs> I'd I, I just like to make this clear for all the listeners that I utterly dissociate myself with it from whatever the hell you're about to say. I'm not going to say it for a little bit, so it'll be fine. It'll be, be long after everyone stopped listening. But, I mean, we have to tip our hat. After 22 years of really being run by one man in all facets of the footballing aspect of the business, and maybe even beyond that, to now have yeah, had a high performance, a, a stats company, a director of football, or you know you can call him whatever he is, a liaison of football, whatever the hell the official title is, he's director of football, you know, a chief executive who's involved in the football, and now a first-team head coach. It is a structure that has been very successful on the continent. It is one that I think in England... Uh, fans have been a little reluctant to embrace, but certainly may- maybe even at Liverpool you might see a structure more like that. Um, there's something a little bit like that at City, although Pep definitely wields a lot of control. I mean, how do you feel now, Paul, about the structures that are in place and the very pointed way in which Emery was announced as head coach? That's, that's a really good question. Just before I get to it, i just got to make a little comment on the Please podcast do. feedback. I, too, was like... I think we were all like really taken back by by the reactions. I think it look, I think 75% of it was we recorded it an hour or less after hearing about it and everybody who listened to it in large part was either 24 hours or 48 hours later by which time we'd all cheered up. But yeah, I mean, let's mic- not do too much navel gazing, Paul, but truthfully if you look at people's no, Twitter no, timelines when we recorded, there was a lot of the exact same sentiment we were expressing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, back to my navel gazing. So, like, I, I have a great deal of 
of understanding for the the listeners feedback but i i'm with you on this fuck them <laughs> wait a minute I, I never said that You're, um you nobody said it better uh, anyway if they don't love us so the structures. We're at our worst. So the structures. Nine minutes in, we basically okay. just talked about ourselves. Let's get on to the football. <laughs> <laughs> but but we're clear. Fuck them, right? No. Nope. With me? No. Nope. <laughs> you <laughs> die. You die on that hill alone, my friend. <laughs> so I think. Th- so here's the thing. I think re- a couple of really interesting things to me. The club actually did brilliantly not leaking anything. They did it so brilliantly there was no competing narrative to the genuine rumors that Arteta was a serious candidate with no opposition because their bloody leak, their ability not to leak was absolutely superb. So they were brilliant, and yet they kind of created a little challenge for themselves. On the, on the Ivan thing, uh, which, I mean, it's obvious he main t- maintained a strong level of control on this, uh, and, and you've got to give him some props looking back on it wasn't how I felt an hour afterwards when they took my boy Artet away from me. I mean, I've been working on it since You just wanted your prediction to be right. That was really the only <laughs> thing you cared about. So you can uh, understand my disgust when it was all done, undone in one go. But, I, I mean, I was genuinely super excited about Arteta, so shoot me. Um, the, the, if we had heard 18 months ago, or roughly whenever it was, when everybody felt that things were going slowly down and we were stuck with I, with uh, Arsene Wenger, much as we loved him, and people were at various different points with him, but pretty much everybody was coming to conclusion change was required. For those who were sure change was required, if they'd been told we'd bring in the director of football from Barcelona, the head scouting guy from BVB, and we bring in uh, Unai Emery, um, with uh, now as we understand his more nuanced uh, capabilities in past, looks like arguably the perfect fit. I mean, we'll, we'll debate that as we go along, but I'm really warming up to not only him having a, a low floor, I can see, I can persuade myself with an argument, as I always can, that he may actually have a pretty damn high ceiling for us. Yeah, and I think scenario. you mean high floor, obviously, but I get your point, yeah. Yeah, hi everything. Just right. yeah. uh, I reckon <laughs> okay. raised the whole building so that I'm not wrong. Several levels up, maybe on sticks, so that everything's high. And uh, where was I? Uh, oh yeah, nowhere. So <laughs> the Darren Burgess, blah blah blah. When you look at what we've done in 18 months, it's quite incredible. And everybody would have said you were fucking nuts if we if you thought that Gazidis with his talks about uh, catalyst for change. Remember all the? I mean. Uh, I understand all the bitching, um, but remember all that bitching? And you, uh, if you show them then and now, people will go, holy fuck, that's 18 months. Changed everything. Well, and it does guys it, in, eight, in place. It does also, I mean, maybe does it defend the decision to keep Arsenal on one more year because realistically this structure was not ready to be in place this time last year? You can make that case. Uh, I still see that on the day that that Stan said Wenger is staying. He was also sitting down with Ivan saying, Ivan, uh, I hear your side of it too. Uh, keep building up the structure in parallel. Um, if Arson can, can get things back on track, get us back in the top four, you know, that gives us two years to get things sorted. If not, we've got one year, uh, you know, go, go at it at f- full pelt 
I mean, these changes were going on on early in the season. Like, uh, you know, Arson was bitching about director of football stuff even right at the start of this season. So there was clearly friction going on. Uh, Darren Burgess happened over the summer, summer, didn't it? So all these changes were going... I'm amazed that, that Wenger in some ways didn't throw his toys more forcefully. Um, but he must have seen the way it was going and, and still decided um, he wanted to give it one more go or at least maybe potentially up to two years more of a go. But, you know, well, in I retrospect, think we'll debate that for a long time. I think you have to say the players may have seen the writing on the wall as well. Yeah, um, and I, this was our worst season, and there's, they could probably look around and think, well, you know, what are we holding on to here? What, what's what's going on? Am I st- will I stay? Yeah. Where's my contract Dad, out? Who's Dad's staying? still Who's living in the house, you? but mom's boyfriend is living there too. Like, it's just it's not a good situation. Um yeah. Not, not that I know anything uh, about I'd that. like to make one quick point on Ivan, which is I don't think there's another club in the country where there's the same job. Uh, you know, why, Levy. Why is that? Has, well, there isn't. Who's the upfront CEO who talks to the public? You don't really see. I don't follow Liverpool super close, but it's always Klopp you see or something about FSG or Henry the owner. Um, you know, it ain't the. Uh, uh, I know there's Cheeky Bagheristan or whatever his name is, but I never hear from him. Uh, but I hear—I bet other fans know who uh, Ivan is and see him and see clips of it. He's a unique situation. Would you say where, Daniel Levy maybe at, at Spurs? To no, because he never talks. Well, that's true. Actually, he just does all these deals that are he's the also, envy of everyone. Yeah. He's also the a, a co-owner. I mean, he's the he's the second most powerful, whatever the guy's name is, Joe Lewis or something off on an island somewhere. Um, so he's definitely doing the CEO gig and running the show, but it's not an equivalent. He's more of a background guy. It's Pochettino you hear from everywhere. Yeah. So our structure is unique. It, it, it's more like the European model where you'd hear from the Bayern directors or the the BVB guys or whatever. And, you know, people bitched a bit that Ivan took the microphone where he's part of this triumvirate and we're not hearing, you know, it's all I, I, I. But Sven is not a public-facing guy. And we, I think we can safely assume Raul probably isn't either. I mean, he's uh, originally... He certainly hasn't been. <laughs> no. So, you know, he kind of is the guy. guy that's, that's, that's our well, structure. And we don't, Maybe we just need to get over it. We don't know yet either, because let's be honest. I mean, the fact that we heard from Gazidis a lot on the day of this announcement does not mean that Gazidis is now going to be at every press conference and be constantly in the media. I mean, let, let's get your thought on this, Clive. First of all, I mean, just really quickly, do you have any problem with, I mean, obviously, in terms of practical speaking, this is a head coaching role now, and that is clear from the structures that are in place. Do you have any problem with the fact that he's not given the manager title even, that it's a head coach title, or is that just... Um, irrelevant to you. Semantics. Semantics. Absolutely irrelevant. Okay. Not, 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 not interested at all. So then where, where is your mm. position on Ivan's participation in this in t- on two levels? One, the work he's done, which I think you would have to say is pretty impressive in many respects. And then two, the extent to which he has very, very clearly stepped out of the shadows uh, through this process. See, because um, I may have a contrary view on, on Gazidis. I've, I've always been a fan of him. Um, I think he's been hamstrung. I, I recognise him. I, I work with people like him. So he's a chief executive, bald. managing director, oh. and yeah, he's bald. <laughs> and, uh, and basically, he's um, he's had to sit quietly, but he's recognised what our problem statement is. 
And he's put together a strategy to fix our problems. He's recognised that we have been a laughing stock in the recruitment side of things, and we've wasted many millions of pounds. So he's fixed it. He recognised that we were buying players incorrectly, so he was, he was behind the whole stat DNA purchase. So he tried to fix it. He recognised that our contacts in the wider game had reduced since David Dean left, and we couldn't just ring up chairman, and we didn't have the right network. So he brought in Raul for the football relations role. That's his actual title. He recognised that we had injury issues. He recognised that our players weren't fit. So he, he hired the best performance guy in the world, in Dan Burgess. And he has been preparing for this. And what I like about him is that he looks at the problem statements and he tries to fix them. Right? So, and I think he's always had a view of the sort of, I call it the target operating model that he wanted to implement. And now he's implemented it, right? And so we've all said this between us all. The final piece of the jigsaw was getting the manager to join that team of people and operate as a team. And he kept mentioning the word, this is now a team versus how we used to operate. Now, you've listened to me talk about people depth and layers of people and organizational change and culture change. I've And I've just, I am absolutely over the moon at the depth of our club now the depth of people within our club so what do people do with Ivan they, all they do is they look, at, they look at what he says and they hang on to sound bites so the Bayern Munich revenue soundbite may be slightly unwise right looking back historically given what happened in the Premier League with the all money coming and our position was taken away but you know what he's done a lot of good things why hang on to that word during the, during the whole process of hiring um, the new manager, he said during the Wenger sort of leaving press conference, he said the appointment's going to be bold. And so everyone thought, well, we're going to do something incredibly bold and crazy. Well, why hang on to that and then use that to hit him back when we didn't employ a manager that hadn't actually managed one game in his whole life? People seem to be positioned and conditioned that we have to be the most contrary club. We have to be the one to take the biggest risk. And I, I've written before, why can't we just be normal? I yearn for <laughs> I yearn for normalcy. That's what I actually wrote. I yearn for it. Why can't we build our club appropriately? Why can't we hire the best person for the job and not be criticised for it? And the whole thing about this, the way he was talking about the process... That really intrigued me. So why was he doing that? Have you ever heard anybody else give that amount of detail about hiring a manager? Well, I, I, I the, think there's a reason for it, but I'd be curious to hear yours. And what do you think? The, okay, the, re, and the, the reason why, I absolutely loved what he did. I absolutely loved it. He absolutely killed and pocketed every single Twitter ITK, every single journalist who thought they knew everything. Those who know don't he, speak and those who speak don't know. Yeah. He put them in his pocket and said, we're going to run things our way, while holding on to our values, by the way. He put them in his pocket. And the reason why he spoke through the process and gave that transparency is that he knows this. And I'm, I'm taking this word. I read it from one of James James's um, blogs he wrote this week, and it really struck me. Mistrust. Mistrust. The reason why he feels he has to show this level of detail, because he knows there's a level of mistrust. So he's going beyond what he needs to to actually let people know 
we are going to be run as a professional club and this is what we've done. And the most thing, the thing that really pleases me about this appointment is that I feel the guy won the job. He didn't get the job. He was the best person and he won it. And in a game of football where jobs for the boys is prevalent, people get jobs because they know somebody. And that, to me, is not inclusive and it's not full of good opportunities. This guy came into the frame and won the job because he did the best interview, he was the best prepared, and he had the best chemistry, <clears throat> and he fitted, the, he fitted our criteria. A criteria laid out clearly mm-hmm. by the people and the team that wanted to hire him. And as we sit here as Arsenal fans, we should be incredibly proud about that appointment and the, and the process, and not nitpick about what was said, who knew what, what journalists said what, because it's not, it's not important. The only thing that's important is we end up with somebody during in the correct process. It doesn't guarantee success, but I tell you what I do know, I'm confident that the process has been thorough, that he's been around the relevant people, they're prepared to stand with him, and people are criticising because he needs to have been centre stage. So you know the club as well as, as well as I do. Do you want Sir Chips walking out there, 82? Hell walking no. out with him? <laughs> we do not, do you want we any, do not need anybody that. else in that boardroom? You, you could even walk. He's not under the age of 78. No. They can walk out there with him. Trip. Yeah. So like, um, and I, I sometimes think, well, who else do you expect to be out there? The guy can barely speak English. And think about how you are first day of work. Aren't you glad to have somebody walk you around and, and make you feel settled? I Again, mean, what, what don't is have wrong a job, but I imagine, yes, that's probably <laughs> Well, what is wrong with people? I don't know what they expect. I really don't. You should be sitting back and think how this was done so professionally and I spoke to um, I did speak to Jane offline right and I said to him how was it today in the press conference and he said and I thought this is really telling he said this was a good day for Arsenal this was a good Arsenal today the energy in that room and the presence that he had it really hit everybody and I thought that is brilliant yeah did you hear Ornstein talking about it yeah, yeah, I did. Ornstein I did. was, I was on the Arscast. You should make a point to, to listen to feedback that, yeah. on uh, Emery and, again, the energy and the whole day. And the presence and the way he handled it, Paul, the yeah. way he handled that room in his fourth language. I mean, this stuff really impresses me because that's, that's about the calibre of the individual. Yeah. So we can't say what's going to happen on the football pitch right now. But we've just lost the legend of the game after 22 years. A man that's got stature around the world and there's a lot of fear about the next step with our club. And I don't feel fearful about the future. I never did, but I don't feel fearful. And I think a lot more people have thought, you know what? I'm looking forward now. I'm not looking back. And, and I, I take all that on board. I I think I want to deliver a rejoinder to just one point there that I think I hear a lot. And I think it's just a little bit intellectually, dishonest because it 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 makes everything very binary so everything you said you know about the the class of the way some of this was handled and and you know a good day for arsenal i agree with that the one thing that i think is weird is people who say you know we were going to appoint this guy who had absolutely no experience and so we got it right because we appointed emre and you know somehow there's this argument that it was binary it either had to be arteta with no experience or it had to be emre so I had a hard time coming around Arteta. I had kind of gotten excited for it because it was crazy, but I never really thought it was sound decision-making. I never really got to that point with it. I think it is possible to both think that the Arteta appointment would be irresponsible and in poor judgment and still have concerns about Emery, right? And, and I'm not saying that's where I'm at right now, but I think it is important yeah. to distinguish the fact that like, 
I think what's almost happened, and it's almost a masterstroke in a way, they got the whole fan base thinking we were going to do something bananas, like totally crazy banana. Hire a guy who had zero managerial coaching experience at all. And then anyone with any experience was going to look like the sound, smart, savvy choice uh, compared to that. When in fact, there are a world of experienced football managers and experience alone should not be the criteria, right? Like, if we had hired Ancelotti, I would have been devastated. That's not a guy I want. You certainly can't argue with his experience. Had we announced Ancelotti, people would have been like, oh, you were ready to hire Arteta, who had no experience, but now you don't want Ancelotti? Well, again, I don't think having minimally having experience should not be why we're excited or not excited for a manager. Now, I think there are lots of reasons to be excited about Emre, but the fact that he's a real coach that's actually coached football feels like <laughs> too small a reason to be excited about him. So let, let's dive into the reasons to actually be excited about him. And, and yeah, Clive, you want, to, you want to just answer that? I just want to say the th- things, that, um, things that concern me a little bit, it's just this perception that we have as a club, that we have got to be the one to be the crazy one. I read some John Cross stuff, and he's saying he's so disappointed he's not Arteta. I thought Arsenal could do something bold. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, oh, hold on, mate. Why have we got to? Ch- why have we got to threaten the family silver just to just to make you happy so you can report on the upside or downside of our club for the next few years? Why can't we do the right thing? Oh, why I can't totally we do the agree sensible that, thing. The sensible thing by us. And if it was Arteta, then I'd be I'd be just as supportive, right? But the fact that it isn't doesn't mean that we're stupid. I, I work in risk management. To me, Arteta was a risk we did not have to take, right? And and we've now taken every every single time you hire somebody, all you're doing, you're, you're managing a level of risk, right? Yeah. And we have just managed this level of risk appropriately the best way we can by having a thorough process to reduce that risk. And here, and here we are with this guy. I'm not saying it's a sure thing, but I'm pretty comfortable how we arrived here. Sure. And I think and I think that's really positive. I, I think all I'm saying is I don't think that the the criteria we use for saying we're excited about Emre is he's managed football before. You know what I mean? Like like But nobody's really saying that. No, but it's it's yeah. I think when when count when um put up against and compared against the appointment of Arteta, Emre's experience alone makes him look like a sound choice. And I think there are things about Emre that do make him look like a sound choice. Experience isn't it, because there's a world of experienced football managers. I mean, we could have hired Sam Allardyce. He has tons of experience. So I think this focus on Arteta, what it did in a weird way, is it set a very low bar for what would look like a good sound appointment. And I want to Don't think so. Well, I mean, do not think so. Well, let, let me let me explain why it did. It did because it gave people the ability to say, "Whew, we were going to do this crazy high risk thing, but we didn't." So that's good. And what I want to do, but I want to focus I don't on the think things that's what people said. Totally fine. I want to focus on the things about Emre that are exciting and qu- that are quality about him, other than that he's just coached. A football game before. So so let's get on to that. First of all, I think it was very impressive that he made the attempt to speak English in his first press conference. I think that shows character because, as, as you guys both hit on, that's a very hard situation. Speaking to the world, to your fan base across the world, to the English media in England, um, in a language that's not your first language, very intimidating. And that he did that just shows the the drive and desire and, and work ethic he has and the, the character that he has. But as a as a football 
coach, which is what he is, a head coach, Paul. I mean, what are the things as a football coach from his past or from his CV that excite you beyond just he's managed before? So the language thing is interesting because it shows, A, he's got balls. B, he's decided to totally immerse himself once more in a new situation. So that tells you he's a quick learner because he's he's all in, right? Uh, He didn't just do that press conference. He then goes around and does interview after interview. Uh, you know, there's several of them up on on the dot com uh, where he could, you know, he wanted to talk to everybody. He's just he just pours himself into it. You can see he's that bit of an obsessive. Was there anything about so, his footballing philosophy that he struck on that really struck a chord with you? Yes, there is. Um, so uh, first thing I like about him is we're we've been a four two three one club for a long time. He's a four two three one guy. Um, we've got pretty much the right kinds of players apart from some notable gaps we're all aware of um to to fit into that style um and the other thing we've lacked with that is intensity which is all about the you know the the premier league you're not going to beat the big guys you 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 may beat down the table but you won't beat up the table without the ability to press and to press uh in the opponent's final third, which is what he's all about, as I understand it. Um, and we've we've wanted a long time somebody who could drill a coordinated press. Um, his attention to detail, I mean, obviously this is stuff we're reading up on over the last few days, certainly me, so I'm just coming up to speed on it. I'm not talking as an expert to anybody, but out of everything I read, this is what appealed to me. His attention to detail, the focus on uh, fitness, energy, um pressing high pressing his working with players to develop them i'm particularly excited you know ainsley maitland niles is one of my favorite projects i'm not quite sure if he has the mentality but he certainly has all the abilities skills physicality um anything you could want to play two or three positions in the team and he's about to find it he's about to get his chance because if he if he gets into it if he gives himself over to Emery the way Emery gave himself over to those press conferences, learning the language and just throwing himself into it. Ainsley Maitland-Niles will become a star. Yeah, well, um, that would be great because <laughs> it fill a position we desperately need. Yeah, or two or three along the way. So he'll get all the – Emery apparently likes young players who run their legs off because he needs some of those as well. Um, well, maybe he'll teach Iwobi to do that because that would, that would be something that would improve him as a player. Uh, yeah, you can pick three, four players who um, they're going to get their chance. Now, it, there's no guarantees, but if Iwobi has what it takes, he's going to learn how to play within the system. He's going to be told what he needs to do, and then he's going to get a chance to do it. Same with Maitland-Niles. Chaka is the same. Uh, I mean, uh, he he's one of my highest rated players from last year by the time he was done. Uh, he played pretty much every game. Um, but Emery has a a particular uh, approach in mind. Uh, I s- suspect he'll get a player who can play beside Chaka, but he'll expect midfielders, uh, central midfielders, who can potentially drop in between the centre-backs, help out, understand their role. And Chaka hasn't, hasn't always shown to be switched on defensively. Well, he's going to get his chance to show he can play both ways. Um and be that deep-lying playmaker, 
but he's also going to have to do specific roles. So it's going to be very interesting to see these guys have the coach, the shit coached out of them. We'll actually know what they're supposed to be doing and that they're now not doing it. So well, that's going to be interesting. That's totally true. Like, look, the one thing that's really interesting to me when I see the reactions to people on social media in particular is the extent to which we all presume Arson wasn't doing these things, that he wasn't preparing, that there was no film study, that he wasn't granular or detail-oriented in his preparation. And that may be very harsh on Arson. But as a result, when Emre starts to talk about we're going to be pressing, we're going to be detailed, you know, we're going to do film study, all of these things, you know, and some of the stuff he talked about in the press conference in terms of his footballing philosophy, I think people are very excited for it because at, at a minimum, from a perception standpoint, we perceive that he will bring the very things that have been missing uh, in terms of preparation and and getting Arsenal to at, at a minimum focus on the details of the game, and that's that's something that again it it may prove to be harsh on Arsenal. We may find out after a few months that no, this still looks a lot like the Arsenal we're used to, but I suspect it won't. I mean, Clive, as you listen to him speak, as you've read things about him subsequent to the appointment, from a footballing philosophy standpoint. Are there certain things that jump out on you, jump jump out, hopefully not on you, I mean, depending on what their intention is when they do that, um, jump out at you uh, in terms of things that are really exciting? I think um, I always bring, when I analyze football, I always bring it back to life. Right. So when you change jobs, you don't go to the next job and do exactly what you've done in the last job. You adapt to the environment. You adapt to the people around you. You adapt to your stakeholders. You adapt to your audience. You put yourself in the room and you adapt your message for that room. So I'm not suspecting or expecting him to have a certain formation because he's had a certain formation at Sevilla or a certain formation at PSG, which were different because of the players that he had. So that's good. So I'm not putting myself in the box. What I, what I did find interesting during the press conference was and fair play to him for trying to speak English, and I see that other fans are taking the mickey out of him, but they'll soon realise that's, that's not the right thing to do. But what I really did notice, uh, he struggled with his English on certain aspects, but as soon as it came to talking about the football, did you see how his body language changed? Did you see how suddenly he became clearer in his in his message? And I look at those sort of things. I look at the... The individual, I look at his sort of emotional intelligence and see how he can fix a room, fix people. And then I sort of extrapolate that to the dressing room, to the training ground and think, I, I like that. I like his presence. I like his sternness. I like, even there's a video of him today walking the training ground. He's businesslike. He looks serious. He looks committed. He doesn't wear a tracksuit. That's important. <laughs> and these are all the things so if, if I'm feeling this or seeing this and I'm sure other people are as well this is what the players are going to see and they're going to react and when it comes down to it I, that's what it's all about it's about the relationship between the manager and the players and how much he can extract out of them and that's underpinned by his philosophy so his philosophy is unknown to me right now the detail philosophy is unknown because the player pool could be different in a month's time or two months' time. The key people could be different in two months' time. And he may look at our players and say, well, actually, this team might need a different formation. Three at the back, for example, because I've got a, a number of young centre-halves and need a, bit of, need a bit of help, a little bit of comfort. And so I'm looking forward to see what he arrives at. And again, I'm a fan of 4-3-3. I'm a fan of 3-4-3. I'm a fan of multiple formations but what i really want to see from this team is a level of intensity 
And I was thinking back to the, the better teams that we've ever had. And I was thinking back to how teams beat us. And what teams do and what anyone does when you want to win those big games is you have to make people feel uncomfortable. And Arsenal are a team that make people feel comfortable when they play us. And we do not enter the pitch with a desire to make other people feel uncomfortable, to overcome them. What we try to do is to to beat other teams by pure playing technique and creativity. And that works up to a point. But when you have to revert into the fundamentals of the game, I think we are found wanting. And so what I'm hoping for and what I'm listening to and what I'm gleaning from the conversation is this guy respects the fundamentals of football. And that excites me. I don't care who it's with. I don't care what the formation is. Because if we can add that to some of the technique and creativity and ability that we have and talent, we're going to go a lot further than we've done this year. And that's a start point. And that takes us 10 points up the league straight away. And then we go from there. And that's going to be dependent on recruitment, development of some of the players we have, and hopefully the recruitment and actually finding some gems that adapt and settle quite quickly. And that could take us to our ceiling. So that's, that's what interests me going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we will find out pretty quickly if the problem at Arsenal was the quote-unquote jazz football of Arsene Wenger or not, because they're not going to be playing jazz football anymore. Um, Paul, I mean, what is a realistic, but with, you're not... Not uh, so. So here, here's the thing. What is a realistic expectation for Emre and for Arsenal in his first season that reflects the reality of our situation, but also the the possibility of what this club can achieve? I mean, for you, if we're sitting here doing an end of 2018-19 season podcast, what would be a failure that we'd be complaining about? What would be a success that we'd be complaining about? Well. Mentally, I'm I'm gearing myself up to take a two-year look at it, and certainly an eighteen-month look at it. But if if I, I think it's realistic that we we could make top four next year, um, is that the, the, is that the bar? No, not not in the sense that if he hasn't made it, it's a failure. If we're if by the end of the year we're playing really good football, I won't give a fuck where we are in the Europa League. It's all about. Uh, you know, what did Pep look to do in the first year? He started like a train at City. Um, by the end of the year, he'd had a good year, but not a great year. And, it, you know, but what he had done was he had established his approach and his style. But that really didn't become clear till the start of the next year. And I think we've got to take that into account. Uh, we, we don't have the squad that City had or have. Um, but what you want from Emery is a clear commitment to his style and approach for that team. He, it's going to take a number of windows. I think we honestly, I think here's what we should do with our expectations. We should throw them out the fucking window because 12 months is nothing to measure it on. Let the guys do his stuff. Take a back seat. We won't do this because we're on a podcast and the people listening to us have their own opinions. But the reality is you won't know. Uh, I mean, Pep was getting rubbished in the, the media by the end of his first year. Fraudiola. <laughs> yeah, Fraudiola. That his, they were still saying at the end of the first season that his style wouldn't work in, <laughs> in the Premier League. By the end of the second season. Do we know season, for sure that it'll work? <laughs> not really. Um, he's, they're the centurions. I want to puke in my fucking hands, but they are. 
uh, more goals, more everything, broke every fucking record because he stuck to his principles because he knew what his principles are. So what can you tell, tell at the end of the first season? Fuck knows. Will that stop us having expectations? No. Will I keep asking my questions? Yes. What will my next question to me be? Yeah, I no, no I'm idea. putting a stop to this. <laughs> I think, look. So, so uh, yeah. a g- very short answer. Um, f- top four is reasonable. Um, he's obviously going to go after the Europa League. So that should be interesting but it was a very dull competition till the end um so i think it's i think we just sit back and learn what we learn about football because we're going to learn some stuff looking at our players and looking at him attempting to put a style in place that we haven't seen with wenger because for so long he's basically taken the same approach i think it's a year for him to try and impose a style and us for to sit back and learn a bit yeah, that's fair. I, I think we're in a weird situation, though. And and just hear me out on this, you guys, and, and see if you sort of agree with this, because I realize nobody's agreeing with me anymore about anything. Um, you're, you're toxic. You're you're like fucking... <laughs> lost it. Whatever yeah. it was, I lost it. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I ever had it to begin with. So this squad is kind of a win-now construction squad. Maybe not defensively, but the age profiles of Aubameyang, of Mkhitaryan, of Ozil, of Ramsey, if he sticks around... Um, you know, Lacazette sort of, not exactly, but but sort of. And the age profiles of the big talents on our team, and in particular in the attacking half, are, are win-now age profiles, 28-29. You know, I mean, that that's where this comes out, 30. And so it's, it's a weird situation because Emre is not the manager. He is the coach. His job is to take these players and coach them up. And he'll have most of them for the full preseason. Ramsey, again, if he stays, Lacazette, Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, Oh, you know, Ozo won't be there, but but these guys aren't going anywhere. So, Danny Welbeck. So I think it it is a a really interesting scenario where um, you could argue that while it's always important to be patient, the squad isn't constructed for patience, and that we've hired a coach on a two year contract with the idea that he needs to get in there, coach him up, and do something with him now. Because two to three years from now, we'll be turning the whole squad over again, and then it'll be a new project. And then patience will be required again. So, Clive, I mean, how weird a situation is this for uh, for Emery? Is it not a two-year? I thought it was a two-year with a third option. Is that correct? Well, it might be, but three years. I, I look at it as a three-year contract. So two years we, with we a third option? Control. Okay. Yeah. But I did um, also see somebody saying, no, it's not two plus one, it's three. So I don't think we know. He's. It's not three, and it's not two unless it's three, or it's not three until it's two. I don't know how that works. Um, but, I think it's three. Okay, let's call it a three. Anyway, moral of the story is, the, in terms of the patience argument, Clive, and in terms of how the squad is built, this squad isn't built for a project. This squad is the project, so to speak. So is Emery in a little bit of a weird situation where there is pressure to do something in the first, certainly two years, but even in the first year, because by the end of the second year, it really will look like it's time to turn the squad over. Yeah, so I look at expectation-wise. I think, you know, as a as a fan group, I don't think there's anybody. There's not. I don't think there's many people. I don't want to be too generalistic that don't want us to be in the Champions League next year. That's that to me is the expectation, right? So however we get there, being in the Champions League, that's that for me is it. Right, so, so we've got to find ten to fifteen points to to make that happen. And to be fair, it means jumping over two good teams. Two, you know, two. I mean, Spurs yeah. are rubbish, but there's Spurs and Pochettino staying, and then it's either a Chelsea or a Liverpool or a United or a City or. Yeah, and and, and I don't. It's, I, I look at it and think about it's positioning. So everybody now is positioning themselves. How they're going to position themselves? So Liverpool are. They're going to be quite confident. They could be European champions by the weekend. So, 
how they're going to position themselves versus the you know, statistically the best team we've ever seen in the Premier League, right? So, so Manchester United, now, how are they going to do it? How are they going to step forward? They're looking, they're going to probably spend more money, do some selling and do some serious buying. You know, Gareth Bell is out there. That story could reappear. They got to get right, rid so, of that Alexis Sanchez guy. He's a boat anchor. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so they're going to reposition themselves. The manager's got a big contract. He's not going anywhere. It costs them too much to get rid of him. So, Chelsea are—they're in a situation where they're going to have to get somebody new. How are they position they, they have—they have got quite a quite an old group, right? So that's going to be quite interesting for them to see what they do. I think they could struggle for a short period, right? Because their funding model has slowed. So I think they are vulnerable. I think Spurs are not as solid as people think they are. I think a lot of it revolves around the creativity of Ericsson. They're moving to new circumstances again. And people are going to enjoy going to their new ground as, as they did in our new ground. So I'm not convinced by the Spurs bandwagon. I think Harry Kane hides a lot of sins in that team. And I think Liverpool are the ones that are building. They are a year or so ahead of us on their recruitment model. They are building. And I think they will go again. If they buy, if they buy another centre-half, and they will, they, we know they've got Naby Keita coming in centre midfield. I think they will add a creative player to replace Coutinho in the front three to make sure they can rotate that front three that stayed fit all year. Once they fit for the second year, that's for certain. So, I think Liverpool are going to do that. And I think they could they could challenge. They could challenge. And so, I think for us, we just need to get into that into that top four. I think most of the fans would be would be pleased with that. I think our expectations will then be driven by who we buy. And when players hit the grass, then we'll be driven by the expectation. Then I think then the expectations will grow. And the fan base are not stupid. They know when a team is together. They know when a team is balanced. They know when a team can compete. And when we start going away and drawing and winning at the top teams, then I think we all know we are competitive. And that's the thing for me, being competitive versus the top teams, not having people just know they're going to beat us away from home in the northwest of England. And so that's that's my expectations for this season. And I think, um, I'm hoping, we, we can all, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm hoping we can just watch it. And I'm hoping that I think his targets would be also, would be the top four for me. Sure. I And I think... You know, it's totally possible that we can get back into the top four with the team we have. Now, I think obviously there's some work to do maybe in midfield and certainly defensively. The the real pressure, ironically, might be on Sven and Raul at some level because they have this very weird tap dance they have to do, which is get the players in now to support Emre to do something with the squad he's got and not waste Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan and Ozil and potentially Ramsey. You don't want to waste their last couple of years. But behind the scenes... They've got to be thinking of starting to bring in some of the talent that's going to backfill when it's you know when it gets to be two years from now and Aubameyang starting to tail off and Mkhitaryan starting to tail off. So that is a worry. Um, I'm not worried about that as, as you are, Elliot, because you know the way um, if you look at Jamie Vardy running around at 32, he's not slowing down. Uh, I'm not. I don't. I'm not overly concerned about the 28, 29 year olds. Well, we, we do have. have Darren Burgess now, the head of high performance. So. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I just don't. I don't worry about that so much against some of those those players. I do think about our intensity levels in centre mid. You know my feeling there. I don't think the balance is quite right, and I do think we need to add some real physicality and intensity in central defence, right? So, um, and and I think we're going to address that situation and be a lot much more 
competitive and resilient in those areas. Well, and, they, and, and, I, and that's what I look forward to the most, right? So, one of the encouraging ahead. things I would say is that we, we hired a manager, head coach, who is comfortable being just the head coach. And it doesn't appear that Emery is going to have any trouble slotting into this continental model. He's been comfortable with it in the past. Clearly at PSG, he was in a very, very challenging situation. And, you know, I, I have been critical of, of some of what he did at PSG, but it may have been really an untenable situation for any coach, but he's comfortable. And the thing I like about that is it means he is someone who wants to focus on the football and the preparation and the coaching and doesn't want the distractions or certainly doesn't feel he needs the distractions of constantly managing transfer business and contract renegotiations and things like that. And there are guys you could have brought in who might have grudgingly accepted that, but it certainly doesn't appear that he's grudgingly accepted it in this case. And so, you know, you want someone... I think... Sorry, man. I think if you look at Pep's role, I mean, he's got his backroom staff that he knows from Barcelona days. And well, they he's do a meticulous the... coach. He certainly enjoys the coaching aspect, I would think, more than any other part of the job. Exactly. I don't see much difference in that model. Oh, okay. We don't know. The, we don't know the roles as closely because we don't. We're not as close to those teams. I'm sure those individuals at City are on City TV doing their interviews, but we don't care about them, so we're not watching that. You see, so um, does anybody? The structures there, are most, yeah. Ed Ed Woodward is it at Manchester United? I mean, I've never seen an interview with him, but I bet you I'll name you TVs all over. Well, it, I right? hope he so, just um, keeps doing what he's been doing because it's they're pretty terrible. <laughs> and so place. the structures are there. We just don't take as much notice, and and this is just what other people are doing, and what we are doing is that we are trying to create an identity. So we're letting everybody know. These are the people around. These are the people that are doing the roles. And I actually think that's really quite brave because now they're, they are accepting their roles and responsibilities. So we can align failure to them. We know who the head of recruitment is. We know who should be helping that head of recruitment and creating the right network. We know that Ivan's walked out with the manager. We know it's his appointment. We know they all agreed. So if he fails, they fail. There is no hiding place here. And I think it's really brave. As I said to you the other week, I think the the fans are waiting for someone else to blame if this goes wrong. Yeah. And it's going to go on to that very team of people. That's the definition not of gonna fans. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to go on. They might pick on the odd player, but there's no Arsene Wenger to throw everything at. So they're going to go on that team of people and they're going to look at the board. And I, and I try to project forward, actually. You know, I have a little think about this. I tried to project forward to what Ivan could do next because he's he's rattling off the problems, right? He's knocking them down, and I think he's. I think it's going to be a change. You know, I think it's going to be a change with the with the chairman, and he needs to create a a soft landing space for Josh Cronky to come in and be the chairman. And at the moment, I'm not sure how the fans would react to that. Well, I'm pretty sure, but if you win three games and the manager's doing great and he's punching the sky and everything looks dynamic and quick, bang, new chairman comes in. No one's going to say a word. Right, so I think he's. I think that's his next target. Right, is to make sure the manager's got a, a protective state around him. He's got the support around him, and then the next phase is to make sure that we can have a turnover in the boardroom. We have a lot of aged people in there that really are figureheads that do not want to be there, and we need to have turnover in that boardroom. And I think he'll focus on that next, and then I think he'll focus on the fan base. We have a manager that's got a Twitter handle. He'll be connecting with us. <laughs> Not and for I, long. I, I, yeah, <laughs> he knows what's good for him. Right? <laughs> so so he'll, he's got a Twitter handle. That's going to be quite interesting to see what the club do with that. 
to see how they engage with the fans. They're not stupid. They're looking at what's happening online. They're looking at what's happening on fan TV programs and radio stations. And and they're going to, I think they're going to flip this around and start to own some of that space a lot more. Start to own Does that matter, though? I, and I don't mean that as a challenge. I'm I, just saying, do, I, does I, it genuinely does it matter? matter? I think it's quite interesting. I think it's, it gives opportunity for a different dynamic and a different connection. Because you're not really going to keep I'm, the fans happy without results, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if you're the best absolutely. socially managed club in the world and you finish sixth and, and you're well, you know shipping three you know goals what? away. It results mean everything. I can remember when Jurgen Klopp did the old hold your handy thing for a 1-1 home draw. Remember that thing? Yep. All, the, all the players stood in front of the cop and hold each other's hands and Liverpool fans weren't having it at all, you know, the, Suddenly he gets a few results, they see a few goals go in, and everyone's holding hands and singing, and the connection's fully there. Hey, look, I know the score. Football football underpins everything, right? The results underpin everything. But fans are not stupid. When they see a team that's competing, when they see a team that entertains, they're more prepared to be to connect. And I think that's the, that's the next phase, the next steps for him. Yeah, I, I, look, I, the other thing I wanted to address quickly, one of my big complaints on the last pod is that the the process of getting to Emery looked chaotic it looked like it wasn't clear thinking and it it left me questioning you know maybe the operation of this new power structure but some of the things i heard david ornstein say on the arse cast which was fantastic to listen to some of the things that gazidis himself said in the press conference and uh some of the writing that's been done subsequently at a minimum makes it look like it was a little more organized than that now do i think that we've been given the whole unvarnished truth maybe not not that we're necessarily entitled to it but it certainly has allayed some of the concerns that I had in that moment. Paul, I mean, do you do you feel a lot better with the information we have now that the process, while maybe not you know as smooth as glass, was was a lot more uh, well done and and thorough than than maybe in the moment we were concerned about? Yeah, I, I'll kind of ignore the thrust of of your question, but but I think so the usual. A, a, yeah, address a couple of elements for it, which is, I think the reason Ivan was so tenacious and detailed was because this was his moment and this was his process, and then he saw kind of the the meltdown within media and fans. I think he was absolutely disgusted that his, if you like, his parade, because uh, he was obviously pretty happy with how things were going, but they were on a flight to Atlanta and they were, you know, meeting the Cronkies and blah, 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 uh, and had taken their eye off the PR side of it. I fully agree. There's no way it was as smooth as he paints it to be. But in a sense, from a, a looking forward as an Arsenal fan, it doesn't really matter. What matters is what we take forward from it. Um, you would have to say based on results and based on the maybe Emery's thread through this, that part of it was extremely successful and very linear and logical. And I'm sure there were bumps and I'm sure it was back and forward. There's no way Arteta was that far, far down the line without it being less linear uh, or as linear as, as, as Gazita said in terms of the progression. But hey, what's important is he came out there, he put his boot on the neck of basically the media, and they still lapped it up. I mean, he basically he hit them pretty hard. He also told them directly and indirectly they were full of shit. And yet, at the end of it, they all wrote, it was a great day, Emery was great, Arsenal was great, they've really got their shit together. So, A, that's a success. And, and going forward, what you want is a club that 
has their act together. And even if 50% of it is wallpapering over uh, some some bumpy patches, it doesn't fucking matter. What we're left with is uh, if you froze it here and the planet was destroyed, which of course would be a, a bit of a bummer all around, but you, w- you would freeze it at a point where Actually, it looked like we got our shit together. We got the right manager. We did the right thing. It was a good process. Our execs looked lined up. Uh, Ivan looks like he's in control, which is obviously what he wants to do. Now, what happens in the future is far more important, but it's built on this basis and this platform. I'd also say in Ivan's defense, A, there's nobody else doing this job in the in the UK or in England. So kind of hard to know exactly how to set that tone. B, Wenger's just gone, so he's just trying to find the balance between him and the new head coach versus a manager. So he's learning. He he just learned from that process. I mean, that was kind of a one-off for us as a club that we would do anything. We kind of have sta- star search. Uh, you know, Brit- Britain's got talent for a manager. I mean, it, it was kind of an unusual manager approach to kind of to have that many people in this formal process, blah, blah, blah. It was kind of best practices for hiring a manager, at least in terms... You see, that's why I think Ivan was so upset. I think for him, he still managed to keep it pretty close to what he man- what he wanted. It's just the PR is the thing he took his, his eye off. Well, uh, and, and I think he addressed that at the end by putting a big metal boot on the throat of media and that trickled out to us and the fans and and felt pretty strong. Yeah, and, and I you know, I do want to backtrack on one thing I believe because I, I have a slightly different perspective on it now, which is yeah. you know, let's say that he was very close to appointing Arteta, that that decision had gotten fairly pregnant. It takes tremendous character, tremendous unity, and tremendous force of will to acknowledge internally, you know what, this is a risk too far. This we kind of fell in love with our idea here, but we have to make a more considered decision and backtrack. Yeah, that's a, that's an uh, assumption, Elliot. Elliot. That's an assumption, right? If you if you listen to what Ornstein said, Arteta got to a certain point, and other people got to a certain point in the process. It didn't go to the next phase. Didn't go to the next level. It didn't go to an offer phase, right? So that didn't, ha- you know, according to what was said today, what I listened to that that didn't happen. And I, and I think we're. Um, and I don't. I don't agree that um, that Gazidis was was upset at all. I think he he managed this appropriately. I think he's given us due respect by making the whole process transparent. So can I ask you a question Whether, about that then? Though I mean, do yeah, you yeah, you ahead. don't think? I mean, and again, I, this is not me bashing Gazidis. This is just my my honest gut reaction to it. A lot of the comments made in the press conference and a lot of things that come out subsequently, we got a lot more information than you usually would expect to be shared information that, frankly, we don't need. You don't think any of this was in response to feeling he and the club were treated unfairly in the media, in social media, with the reaction that was coming up about the Arteta decision and that he felt he needed to get his story out? You don't think there was any any reaction? Uh, I, I think um, he, he wanted to set the record straight what really happened and i think that's for part of the reason because things were misreported and it's, it's important that the guy gets a good starting point in his career so he's created a start point for him and i also feel he was talking to the fan base right and he was saying you can trust us we this is what we're doing this is how we did it we're trying to regain the trust that we've lost 
right? There is a huge level of mistrust between that boardroom, the people that run the club, and the fans, right? There is no manager there anymore. So he knows he has to front up and be transparent, be clear in his communication, own the problems, resolve them, and move us forward and manage the change. He is managing the change. He's fronting the change. He's explaining the change. And who else is going to do it apart from our chief executive? Uh, well, who it, else I mean, are we expecting no to one. stand it, up? No one. It was more just the the amount of information that was given and the way it was given. And you know, certainly, for example, like that initial, those who don't know speak and those who speak don't know. Uh, those those who don't know speak and those who know don't speak or you know whatever it is. You know the quote. The, yeah, those yeah, things, they, it felt yeah, very pointed. Yeah, so when people talk about these minutiae details, which, by the way, I, I, I liked it, but I, I'm not going to go to bed thinking, well, that was great, and, and the next night, I'm now moved on to the playing and the football. And But when people talk about these minutiae and these details, they never offer an example of what they would expect. What would they expect? You know, and, and I look around and I think, well, how would I want the club to behave and act? And the way that we've managed the whole Wenger exit for the last month or so, everything that's come out within the club, the media, the the videos, the way he's been fated, he's done that for a reason. No one can say to him that we kicked him out of the club and we did not give him due respect. No one can say that because we've done that properly and appropriately, even to a point where the fans question themselves. And now we've got somebody new in within a couple of weeks and he's explained the process down to the last date. I sometimes think, and I think to myself, okay, are we just moaning for moaning's sake? What do people expect? Tell me what you expect. Well, it's not moaning. It's, it's me, interrogating me, you know, the, the thought me, process. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying to you. Give me, give me an you example <laughs> of where you thought someone else has done it better that you actually care about. Give me an example. And I, and I, and I struggle to see one. Right? I really do struggle to see one, given the fact we have not done this for 20-plus years. Given the fact this is new for most of the people who's grown up with this manager, who can't remember the detail behind the last two manager changes, whereas I can, but it's not important, because no one was that was scrutinizing at the point. And I just think we need to, I think some of this is reflection of us and how we absorb information and what we expect. It's reflection of our feelings. Well, actually, we need to get back and flip it and say, you know what, we need to draw a line under this. We're too conditioned. We should draw a line under it and really start focusing on supporting the club. There's going to be plenty of opportunity when we kick one in our own net at Old Trafford to have a go at the club. Right? It's coming, right? Because football is uncertain. It's like you just don't know what's going to happen. But when these are, these are things which are process-driven. They're just management decisions. They're just growth decisions. And they're controlled decisions. They're in a controlled environment by controlled people making business decisions. And in that, I don't think it's that important how we look at the detail. I think it's, I think it's great we've been given detail, but then we've got to be mature enough to absorb it as it's been given to us and process it and accept it. And some people are just not. So, and, so and in I your mind, I mean, outco- outcome over process here, that the process is what it is, that we, you know, we have as much information available to us as is given and you know, to, to interrogate the process too much is, is a waste of time. I think it's, I think we could 
point our energies towards other things. I know there's no football to do that, so we're pointing our energies to anything that's coming out of the club. I'm sure if there's football going on. We're trying to make hashtag content here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure if there's football going on right now, we wouldn't be going into my new show so so detailed. I wouldn't be feeling so. And and I've done it as well, by the way. I wouldn't be feeling so precious about certain things, right? Because we care, right? We're fans. It's all driven by emotion. We absolutely care about every single detail. But we can care about it in a more in a more positive way, in in my opinion. Yeah, sure. And, and by the way, I mean, look, I could get into every single detail. I mean, there were a lot of things that happened on the day. This is a monumental moment. And so we have a choice to dive into the little minutiae which may not matter and may be a waste of energy um, or not dive into it and really just say we're excited to look forward. I mean, for example, there was a video that went out, uh, you know, a video about the chapters of the club, and it was a compilation video of previous managers, and this is the new chapter, Unai Emre, except, like, they left Arsene Wenger out as a chapter, and that, you know... (laughs) It's weird. I saw I, that. And I saw another one, which was a shorter minute version one, which had Wenger in. Yes, of course. Times. Of course. I'm right? just saying, you know, someone put that together and said, let's leave Arson out of this one. Now, we could interrogate that for 30 minutes and say, what was the thought process there? Did did Gazita say, I don't want too much Arson on this? I agree that would be overdoing it. Okay, so I, you know, I think at some level you have to just say not everything deserves, you know, the the – full examination and it's all back to the mistrust it's all back to the mistrust you nailed it there why has he done that that? and it comes back to the mistrust we don't trust them can i put a different term on it though go on then mistrust is definitely fair and and there may be some of that i i actually really liked gazidis and i've always kind of been quietly a supporter of what he's trying to do um for me it's not mistrust so much as uncertainty or um you know, this is very, very new for all of us. For 22 years, the club operated, or at least according to how we perceived it, operated in one way, through one man. Yeah. And his, I mean, we, we get so used to him. I mean, I could, we could all do an Arsene Wenger speech right now, right? Handbrake, philosophy, you know, uh, mental strength, right? It became a meme. It became a trope. So because of the uncertainty now surrounding this and how new it is, Every little nook and cranny of it, Clive, every detail, every word that Ivan said, every social media uh, bit of content the club put out, everything Emery said, we're desperate for it. The problem is there's no football for two months and we have so little to go on. So we are we're trying to glean as much information as possible from really a very small amount of content to go on. And and that can lead to drawing ridiculous conclusions. Um, You know, I don't know if you ever do you guys remember well, you don't live in the United States, Clyde, but uh, one of the late night talk shows, might have been Letterman or might have been Leno, I can't remember. They do a thing where there was a picture and it was super, super zoomed in and it looked like something dirty, you know, like a nipple or something. And then they'd zoom out a little more and it still kind of looked dirty, but then they'd zoom all the way out and it was like, you know, a, a Honda. You know, it was like a car or something. It's the point that when you zoom super far in to a picture or information to the point that it loses all of its context, you can really make it look like anything you want. And I admit to being a little guilty of that. And I think we're all a little guilty of that because we don't have enough to build a real picture on yet. Um, I want to, well, no, Paul, you're never guilty of anything. I want to bring you back in here for a second, Paul. And I want to put the final focus on, (laughs) on Emery for, for just a bit here. So the first thing I want to ask you, when you look at his CV, when you look at the resume, the, the work he's done prior to this, give me the thing that most encourages you from his CV and that most worries you. The thing that, that you think, when I look at that, I see a guy who, who did a job that, that encouraged me for this, but maybe the, the thing that also worries you about, about possible problems. 
I think the thing that worries me is that he didn't manage the egos at PSG. Um, it's interesting that Tuchel will go there, uh, who's maybe a much more combative character. Certainly seems to have the ability to fall out with people. But we'll get to see how he does there. I'm not sure there's a coach who could really handle PSG at the ego level beyond, say, a Pep Guardiola, because you'd have to basically go toe-to-toe with Neymar and be bigger than him. So uh, that's a bit of a worry. Um, But we don't have the same egos. We have egos. Uh, We have a star player or two who are going to have to potentially significantly significantly change what they do. So to me, that's going to be his biggest challenge. Um, you know, we have a player called Ozil, and he makes, he makes a lot of money. <laughs> makes a lot of money, uh, and he's a mercurial character. And I don't think the problem with Ozil is that I don't think even he controls himself, let alone somebody else controlling him. You know, when he's down, he's down. When he's frustrated, he's frustrated. So that, in some ways, will be the. I wouldn't say I'm worried. But you can see where the question mark would come from. And he may just answer it. He may, Ozil may say, thank fuck that somebody now has a system that I can, that I know where I'm going to fit in and, I, and actually feeds me. Uh, and I'm more than happy to play the pressing game and do my bit and be intelligent about it. So it's going to be a very interesting area. I think the thing that heartens me is um, he took uh, Sevilla and Valencia and made them genuine kind of uh, improve them significantly, made them genuine contenders, Um, obviously had success in the Europa League, um, though I I know people say we're a Europa League team and we hired a Europa League manager. I hope that's not the fucking case. I hope that's just a side benefit because you live and die by the league. That's where you build your strength. But he did take teams and over the space of three three or so years, three, four years, got the sum of their – that the teams became much more than the sum of their parts. And we're underperforming significantly. If he can get us to perform uh, at our level and then beyond our level – I think that's pretty exciting. We're not the top dog, and I think he. I think when you're going to work your socks off, you it probably suits a team who's going to be in the number four, number five spot, trying to get up to three, two, and challenge the top guys. So, uh, I think he's the right guy to bring us up the levels. I also think energy-wise and his perspective and his philosophy, he's a classy guy. Uh, it just feels like a really good fit. I think. Uh, you know, we discussed again about ceilings, etc. I think the reason I think he's a particularly good fit is just his energy is right for this for this th- team, this club, where we're at over the next few years. I think he can really bring us up beyond um, beyond the expectations I might have had with another manager. On a, you know, some superstar is one thing, but I think in terms of really good managers. This is the kind of fit that could get the most out of this group, that can work with Sven, work with Raul. Raul had to know this guy. My pet theory was Ivan was the guy who championed Arteta, but Sven, Raul, um, as footballing guys, just really fucking clicked when they met uh, Emery. They all got on the same wavelength. Obviously, Raul will know him as they were basically competitors at two different clubs. 
Uh, Sven will know all about him from from watching the leagues and scouting. And I bet those three in particular just clicked, and Ivan knew what made sense. He he yeah. he saw he saw the right fit when he saw it. That's how I think it went down in the end. Uh, you know, Emery it, had Emery been the favourite all along, we'd have all have thought it made perfect sense all along. You know, I'm talking about the PR, the media PR favourite. Um, looking back on it, it seems to me a near perfect fit. The more I look at it now, of course, I'm romanticising and getting a little bit ahead of myself. I just think his his resume um, is a tremendous fit, and PSG probably made him ultra hungry to go and prove himself in one of the big leagues. He, leagues, he has a point to prove now. Yeah, well, that's that's for sure. I mean, he will definitely want to show that at least the way things ended at PSG were more a PSG problem than an Emory problem. Uh, if he you was not me. the limit, limiting factor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Clive, I mean, for you on his CV, are there, are there things you see that you say this would worry me and, and things that you see that excite you? Nah, if you look at my CV, a few things a few years ago that would worry you as well. Right. So, um, best thing well, is just not to have uh, one man works like a child. Yeah, but you know, so, um, and, and you develop, don't you? And, um, and so the, the number one thing for me is that all, that you know, obviously, I'm I'm interested in football. I'm interested in in coaching, and we've got a coach, so I can't wait to see somebody coach this group to within an inch of their lives. I just can't wait, and I can't wait to see the reaction, to see who survives it, to see who doesn't, and to see what type of individuals he targets and make sure they're coming to the club to see what how they how they build a new team dynamic, right? So these are things that really, really excite me. And I and I hope he matches the expectations that are building in my mind by the hour. Right. So um and I'm just I'm just looking forward to that aspect. On the on the PSG side of things, with the Brazilian clicking that dressing room, no one stands a chance. When your boss buys a player for two hundred million pounds and pays him two hundred fifty. I don't know how much a week was he on. Half a million a week. Yeah. Is that what he's on? Or, or, or you don't stand a chance with that level of investment. Who's in charge of that dressing room? You or that player? Well, especially that player. when the nation that owns your club essentially is also the nation that ponied up to make that purchase. I mean, <laughs> exactly. You know, they're right. telling so, you who the important person and, is. And on field, you have things like Danny Alves stealing the ball from Cavani for a penalty and yeah. smuggling it to Neymar. It's like, fuck. Man. Yeah, so no one stands a chance in, in there. And yet he still won the treble. And people are saying, well, I could win the treble with that team. Well, he still won the treble, right? So so I, we can all pick. We can all pick apart if we want to, you know. And uh, I saw a little graphic on TV tonight saying that, you know, of all the managers in the last four or five years, he's won the most trophies, the same as Pep Guardiola and all the rest of it. So that's a nice positive stat. It doesn't really matter. What really matters is how we blend into the club. And I'm really looking forward to that. And what I'm really hoping for secretly is that we start to connect again as a club. And I think that's the most important thing I'm looking forward to. We've had so much years of division. We are defined by division. We the club exploded during the internet years, and you know, when when Thierry Henry was around, we exploded during that period when the internet was, was getting big. But in the Twitter era, we've been defined by division, and Twitter sort of um, lends to that. And I think we've we've got a chance now to have a more positive identity, and that's what I really hope for. 
Yeah, I mean, I hope for it too. Look, I, I get it. There is a desire for everything to be very sunny and upbeat right now, and it should be. It's our first new manager in 22 years. If you can't get excited for that, there is something wrong with you. I think it is possible to be a normal, rational human being, be super excited for the change and can't wait to see what he brings and have concerns. Now, you may say it's Absolutely. totally unreasonable to have concerns. And if that's the case, so be it. I mean, my, my present position is this. I believe, and I said this even on the last podcast, that there are enormous, immense improvements that can be made just in the margins with the squad we have. That with some coaching and with some coordination, this, this team can achieve a lot more. That there are spaces, there are gaps in our preparation and in our, our coaching that can be filled in and quickly improve us. So I hope we see that. And look, the first time I see us press and it's coordinated instead of like, you know, 11 uh, uh, stray dogs running around a pitch, you know, I'll probably get an erection, like if I'm being honest. So, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's great that we have don't someone. Don't be honest. I will. Elliot, Elliot just remember, just remember. We're just buying a car. We're not buying a house. Well, that's the big difference, work too, out, yes. If it doesn't work out, we can trade it. So let me ask you this, right? Clive. The how long before built. you're on this the podcast saying Emray out, just if, I, if you had to guess? Yeah, and, and when it happens, it, we'll, all th- we'll all feel the same, right? But uh, the, what I'm trying to say to you is it's an important brick in, in, the, in the machine, but we're built now for rotation, if you see what I mean, in that yeah. position. Yeah. Look, and look, we're just buying the car. Clive, Elliot is one of the world's great warriors. If we lived in like a little tribal village and there were like tigers and headhunters and stuff living around us, we'd be really glad we lived with Elliot because he'd spend all evening wondering if the fence was secure and <laughs> if we'd pissed anybody off today and what that noise was. I, Elliot, yeah. Elliot, Elliot would help Elliot, us don't survive. Change. Don't change, mate. Don't change. I mean, I, I, change. I would find that very hard to do at this point. <laughs> I mean, it, it's exactly. Kind of, it's kind of entrenched. Look, I, I'm I, here to counsel you, and I'm just telling you, don't worry about this one. It's just the manager, right? And we've been too wrapped up in our manager because he's been everything We haven't to had a us. choice, yeah. Well, we've now got a structure that says, well, actually, we can now see the roles and responsibilities we've got. And you used a great word, and we are coming what it is, but the roles are diversified, I think it was. And, um, and yeah. Let's let's see how it let's see what all hangs together. Fair enough. Let's yeah. see how the team works, right? The the interesting thing will be to see, you know, what his philosophy is with this group, what he sees in this group as being the right way to to attack the opposition. And you know, I, I think the big, big challenge is it is a little bit of a, a squad that is like Toys of the Misfit Island. You know, it is um, or the Island of Misfits. Like, there's so much talent in it. It doesn't lend itself to any particular organization brilliantly. So I'm fascinated to see how Emre solves that problem. It is it is a really exciting football problem for him to sink himself into. So that, that will be interesting to see. In any event, look, a lot of very raw ideas right now. I think we're still fleshing it out as it comes. We've got a couple of months of of nothing, and that's what's so frustrating. I want to have tons of ideas and tons of of great, uh, insightful things to say about this, but really you're going off very, very little at this point that you can see. So I think we all obviously will now take a breath. What we will do, we will have a podcast that is a postseason awards podcast and really put uh, a pin in or a, a, a period on the end of the sentence that is the 2017-18 season. And then maybe go on a little bit of a hiatus until obviously our first huge signing when we uh, take Usmani Dembele on loan from Barcelona. So that'll be that'll be another podcast, and that one I will be very cheery about. I promise. In, in any event, uh, Paul's on Twitter at Paws in my pants. Thanks, Paws. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. 
Thank you very much. And thank you to you, dear listener, for bearing with us as we, you know, as we work through what is a developing situation. Um, there's a reason that we are not uh, live news anchors on breaking news channels, but instead uh, whatever this thing is. So, Fuck him, Elliot. You were right the first time. <laughs> Fuck him. I hate you so much. Um, <laughs> uh, my name is Elliot Smith, Blackman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about uh, Scott and Tim in the, uh, in the review itself. And then we will be back uh, next week with an award podcast. So at a minimum, we will see you then. And if anything exciting pops up between now and then, maybe we'll just record me ranting and raving about it. So cheers, and we'll talk to you in a bit. 